Hello, everyone. You are listening to In the Weeds with Monica Jean, an agriculture podcast. Uh, welcome back. Monica Jean here with In the Weeds. Uh, agricultural podcast. Today I'm at Frankenmuth, Michigan, um, attending the Underground Innovation Conference, and I wanted to make lemonade out of lemons and get the opportunity to interview um, some of these really innovative farmers on practices. And so I'm I'm sitting down today with Dustin Mulock, and Dustin, you're from Canada, right? Yes, yeah. Ontario, Canada. And so today we're going to go through kind of like what he's got going on rotation-wise, and we're going to talk about three main practices I really thought were interesting. That's biofence, companion cropping, and um, nutrient cycling with buckwheat. So, Dustin, if you don't mind introducing yourself and just talking about your farm and your rotation. Thank you very much, Monica. Glad to be here. We're from about an hour north of Toronto in Ontario, so we deal in about a 2650-2700 heat unit area. We're shorter day, we can have frost as early as uh, September 28th. So that gives us between 128 to 150 days of growing. Uh, every year varies, of course. We're dealing with um, that shorter times. So we're always trying to find a new way to make cover crops, etc., grow in our area and work. Our rotation consists of corn, soybeans, wheat. We deal with uh, dry beans and uh, canola at times as well. We're ever expanding. Uh, we're growing some more grain crops and cover crops in that rotation as well to increase diversity. Um, but we're always making sure that we are keeping that rotation in check to control disease and to push our biological function in our soil with that constant diversity. So since you have a, um, a shorter growing season, it goes intended crop, cover crop, like how do you fit them in? And that's exactly what it is. It's a fit-in process. For us, uh, when we plant our wheat, uh, that's our biggest chance to get our multi-species cover crop in. As soon as we harvest uh, the 1st of August, we can get our cover crops planted. We'll chase the, uh, the combine across the field. We'll let that grow throughout the season. Um, some of it will winter kill. Some will be there for the next season. When it comes to soybeans, we're either uh, dropping the seeds into the soybeans before they uh, lose their canopy mm-hmm. um, or we're planting right after with an, another smaller multi-species multi-grass uh, one there um, corn we are doing interseeding where we when and where we can if we're unable to get that done we're doing a drop in of rye at the end of the season as well um, either no-till after harvest or we'll have it blown in with a high boy okay wow you've got all different it sounds like you've built in choices to your system so if things aren't as favorable during senescing of the soybeans and you can plant afterwards do, are you using a little bit different mixtures for all those situations or do you have kind of a consistent one that works out for you we've spent a lot of time working on specific species that work in our area which ones thrive which ones don't we want to be very careful of our bottom line we're not putting seeds out there not going to grow in our environment mm-hmm. but yes we're we're always trying to keep a diversity of multi-species whenever we can after soybeans it'll be a, a rye um a oat a barley and sometimes a buckwheat depending on how late in the season it's getting okay. as long as we can get uh 11 to two two weeks of 11 days or two weeks of growth 
we're happy with that. And you just brought up the one point, so we might as well head in that pathway. So I had a quote from you saying, 11 days is enough for me. And I was like, wow. Um, and specifically, you were kind of talking about how 11 days of um, that those roots getting established, and that's enough for you. Yes. So as long as we can get that plant in the ground and growing, that plant is going to push out its roots. It's going to start making the symbiotic relationships with the microbiology that's in the soil. Buckwheat, when it grows, it's exuding a uh, sugar protein. It exudates or a protein, an acid, light acid, that is giving signals to the, to the microbes around it what it wants. It's producing a, it wants phosphorus. It's one of the large things it needs. It's putting out that, that sugar to encourage that biology to live in that area. If it can live in that area, it will function and will cycle those specific nutrients, phosphorus being one of those. It's so interesting. I guess I always think about, um, I, I do preach, it's what you want to get out of the cover crop. So I don't say like you need a set amount of time that you should have that in the ground, you know, growing. But that perspective of the 11 days, that just really caught my attention. And yes. I think that's great that you've developed that, um, the credit you give to that cover crop in such a short window. I mean, I think that's awesome. So... We know, too, that once that plant is winter-killed, it dies from a frost, the rye that's planted along with it that's going to overwinter will soak up those nutrients. If those microbes that have been called up no longer have a home, they will switch. They will move if it's in close proximity, and they can continue to either feed that nutrient to that next plant or the previous plant will soak up what's left. I really found when I was listening to your presentation is you are precision cover cropping with nutrient management as kind of your seem like your main focus is that a, a, a correct way to capture yes uh, okay. i look at it from a little bit different point of view um i, I really enjoy the four r's that, that were made that are being established that's awesome i look at microbiology as the real four r's they're cycling the nutrients at the right time the right place in the right form yeah. and they give it to the plant exactly when it's asked for so interesting dustin um and so another way that we've talked about how cover crops can work with you is companion cover crops and you coined pete do you want to explain what peat is and how that companion cover crop's working for you? For sure. We're growing wheat, uh, winter uh, wheat. In the spring, we will frost seed uh, just in light frozen ground peas into that crop. That's why it's coined peat, uh, wheat, and peat uh, wheat and peas at the same time. The purpose there is twofold. We're working with biology and with diversity, but we're also getting a financial return out of this. If we can grow the peat or the peat with the peas being the nitrogen fixtures that'll feed and symbiotically share with the wheat, phosphorus and nitrogen, back and forth, the wheat's going to benefit, the peas are going to benefit, and I'm going to benefit in the end because I have seed either for cover crop or I also have a, a product to sell if need necessary. What were you using to harvest again? So we we're just using a common combine, um, rotary combine. We use a small wire when we do it, just like we do for wheat. But we'll have to just leave it a little bit looser, not to as not damage or crack the uh, the peas. But when we separate the peas from the wheat, we're using a clipper cleaner. We're scalping the the peas off the top, and the wheat continues through the cleaner. Trash and anything left is separated. And then you take that separated pea, and you put it back out. Yep. If we we'll put it back into our cover crop mix, if we can get it done fast enough, right back out in the same field or fields later on in the season or in the next year, it's and cost savings. I heard you mentioned that it was critical, the population of pea for the wheat success. So have you had years where you put a little bit too much in planting of the pea and then the wheat didn't do as well? So it's important to keep that competition, keep the synergy 
and not make it a weed, right, for your wheat. Yes, uh, we play with different uh, populations. The tricky part we have is because it's frost seeding, we've got some cold tolerances issue. You've got to choose a good pea that's got some cold tolerances. Then we can use the lower seeding rates but still achieve proper population. So interesting. And then the last practice I wanted to cover with you is your biofence. Thought that was very cool. Can you talk about your strategy with your biofence? Absolutely. Biofence is something we stumbled across a few years ago. This is a practice of, of planting sunflowers around the outside of your field, but then also about every 80 to 90 feet across the field in repetition. The idea here is we're, we're encouraging um, insect species to move into our field. We're encouraging their populations to grow. Number one is the ladybug. The, uh, the neck of the sunflower excretes a, uh, a liquid that the bug wants. If we can keep that ladybug in high populations around our soybeans, during an event of a aphid attack, we have a natural predator in mm -hmm. place at high numbers that can control that species. All right. And it, that's worked well for you. You guys feel like that's a practice that's controlling? It, it, it's it's twofold benefit. It's controlling our, our bugs, but it's also pushing a large amount of carbon into our soils in certain areas of the yeah. field. Well, thank you, Dustin, for being willing to record a couple of your um, innovative practices. I really enjoyed them. I'm hoping the farmers here in Michigan will too. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.